ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of For the Love of Sport, brought to you by Sports Engine, the home of youth sports. My name is Simon McKenzie. And I am Marie Fitzgerald. And if this is your first episode with us, Welcome. In each episode, we hope to bring some helpful discussions around the topic of the day, some great insights, tips, and tricks from a guest who knows so much about the uh, sports industry. We really are very humbled in that and just happy to bring them on and share those uh, amazing insights and things that you can take back to your own sport organization or small business. There's a newsletter I subscribe to, has a whole bunch of motivational quotes. And you know me, Marie, I love mm-hmm. my motivational quotes. Um, sure, sure. But there, there was one that was very poignant. I'll say uh, for my word of the day from James Clear. And it's one of the great gifts of sports is learning how to fail in public. People never go to the gym because they're scared of looking stupid. Never share their writing because they're scared of judgment. Never open their heart because they're scared of rejection. Sports train you to face your fear. I'll let the goosebumps sort of settle for a second. And I think what I wanted to bring up is how true that is. And really, I didn't think about that at the time when I was a kid, but looking back, how important that was to be able to experience, you know, a devastating loss or a close loss or an absolute blowout in a really sort of safe space. It's an interesting point of like, you know, it gives you a safe space to, you know, fail and it's not going to have any like consequences that are too mighty or too like drastic that, you know, you can't learn something from it. I played college sports, so I have a lot of losses I remember from college because I feel like those ones stuck with me maybe the longest. But yeah, I think there's a lot that like every time after you lose, if you are part of a team or have a coach or part of a culture that accepts, you know, losses and and uses them as a learning tool, I often think that we as a team or as an individual grew the most after a loss, right? There are a lot of things like after you win, you're kind of like, riding high, nothing needs to change. Cause I'm great. We did awesome. But when you lose, it's like, take a look in the mirror and kind of dissect what it was. And if you have a coach that creates that culture of learning and development after a loss, I think that's so important. That's kind of what I'm trying to remember. And that's what I remember most. Yeah. For me, I know that what really sticks out when I think back, like wins when it comes to like tennis or soccer, doesn't really stick out to me unless it was like a, a big, sure. one, like a championship or against a rival or something like that. Mm-hmm. Those are like a handful of memories. Most of the memories, interestingly enough for me, are the ones that were like close losses, you know, a missed shot. That sticks out because it was one, something that I knew I could work on. And two, it was because I had a great coach that could use that loss Mm -hmm. and help 
instill a lesson to it. So yeah, the losses stick out more, but they stick because there was a lesson that attached to it. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing too that came to mind was experiencing win because there's a wrong way to win. Mm. There's a wrong way to celebrate after. Mm-hmm. And I think the, there are great coaches out there that can have a solid culture with their organization that, you know, experiences loss and wins the same way with the same amount of like being there before. Mm-hmm. If you came into this and gave everything you possibly could, then it's not a loss. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, sure. It's a loss in the sense that, you know, maybe we got blown out <laughs> by a hundred, but if you can look at your team and you know that the team gave everything they possibly could. That's all you can really ask. Mm-hmm. Having a great coach that can really dial in the importance of a win or a loss and how to react to it and what you can take away from these things is even more important. I agree. Like I think at the core of all this is just winning and losing. That alone is scary. And when you do it, you know, in public or in front of people and there's fans yeah. cheering and whatever that may be. But it really is, it comes down to the organization culture that's set about winning and losing and what that means to each individual coach. And I think we've talked about that a lot. It really is so important, like especially in new sports. I think about when I used to coach, if I was super mad and upset, that had a direct impact on the kids, right? And I think there's a time and a place to be upset and get, you know, you want to be passionate about your sport. You want to be passionate. You don't want to just accept losing. That's not what we're saying here. But I do think there's a certain way that you can approach it where you are kind of setting the example of like, we could be disappointed in a loss, whether that's a blowout, whether that's a close game, you lost at the last second. You can also talk about it and then turn the page and not have it become a thing that's going to, you know, be a detriment to the rest of the day or stick with you forever. Right. Or like make you not love the sport that you're playing. So I think it's, it's so crucial, the environment that's set up and how, how we're reacting to things, because I think, you know, you lose and more things and just in sport. Yeah. And hopefully something that people can bring back and help people kind of pull back a little bit and see the bigger picture, you know, being, you know, a parent or your coach and like getting upset in the moment. But being able to pull back a little bit, okay, but that's fine because these are formative years. These are formative experiences and being able to experience, you know, a loss or win is really what, what matters here. So how are we reacting to it? That's the best culture you can build. I wanted to bring this up because I think it's great for our guest. Our guest is a captain of cultivating coaching culture, mm-hmm. as it were. And I think we should uh, bring him on to talk about his experience and how he create such a great culture. Yeah, let's do it. Let's bring them on. Down them in. All right, Marie, if we could have our, you know, weekly golf talk real quick here. Uh, I was playing at a simulator with my dad the other day, because we usually do. Uh, and as a sort of father-son sort of not team necessarily, we did have a debate of like who the best sort of father-son team would be or whose son is going to overtake their father. Love like, it. Is Charlie going to be better than his dad. I personally, I think he's going to get right up there. I don't know if he's going to be better, but he's going to get right up there. I would agree. I would agree. And we are in luck, Salmon. And you want to know why? Well, yeah. (laughs) All right. Golf's brightest stars, the brightest of the bright, they are sharing the game with those they love most. So Tiger Woods and Charlie. We've got John Daly and John Daly Jr. We've got Nellie Corda and her dad. They are all taking on the PNC Championship this December 17th and 18th on NBC and Peacock. Can't you can tune in and maybe with your dad, you oh, guys yeah. can watch it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Friendly uh, competition, a little banter. Who's going <laughs> to win? Friendly wager. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Listen, do what you got to do. But it's all on December 17th and 18th on NBC and Peacock. All right. 
Tune in. I'm Pump Marie. I know you're pumped. Our guest today does not fear discomfort, and in fact, it's how he embraces the unknown is what makes him a legend. Tyler Quinn leapt headfirst into opening his first gym only two weeks after graduating from St. Olaf College in 2009. His abundance of enthusiasm and passion for training brought success to his first venture and only spurred him on to his vision of building a place to help others discover what they were capable of. As a co-founder and CEO of Alchemy365, Tyler heads a fast-growing studio fitness company blending together yoga, strength training, and conditioning. Each Alchemy class offers a truly unique fitness journey to its members, but what really sets the enterprise apart from the others is its amazing company culture of unshakable positivity and the stellar community of coaches. So with that, Mr. Tyler Quinn, welcome to the For the Love of Sport podcast. Thank you very much, Simon. Wondering if you can speak to why you have such a joy for training and what really sparked your own passion for wanting to coach. That's a great question. Being an athlete as a kid growing up probably has a big part to play in that. I loved my experience, you know, and I, and I was somebody who played a lot of different sports. I, I wasn't always embedded in a single sport at any given time. Hockey was a, was probably my priority, but having older brothers, you know, baseball, tennis, golf, swimming. Um, and I think just the amount of fun that I had and the, the friendships and the connections that you make doing that is, uh, kind of undeniable. And then I, and then you, then you transition. And as an adult that goes away. And, and if you spent the first, I don't know, 15 to 20 years of your life engaged in sports with a team and a leader and a shared goal and that feeling of purpose. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you played in college or, or maybe you did intramural in college and then you get out and, and that goes away. Yeah. That's, that's really difficult. What I found was that when I started the, my first gym, I was able to sort of curate that experience back for adults. And um, I will say that you know, my first gym was a CrossFit gym. It was, it was mm-hmm. called CrossFit Minneapolis and CrossFit in 2009 was, it's not like it is today. There weren't very many of them. It was a bit yeah. of a, it was a bit of a fringe concept, but one thing that was really important to me, and I, and I'm sure that this will resonate with coaches out there who do work with, with younger kids is you know, how do I make a, a really intimidating concept, very accessible to everybody. Yeah. And, um, that was, that's a tall lift because in and of itself <laughs> looks scary. It looks scary and it sounds scary because bars hit the ground. But I remember just, you know, it was about those, um, those human interactions that you had in between sets yeah. of lifts or, you know, in the, in the five to 10 minutes before a class started, I don't know why that's exciting for me. I can't say what it is about teaching and leading other people to achieve and to take on challenges that that motivates me but i did find that it felt like a calling very early on in my life and i think if i wasn't in fitness i would be in some kind of education i think that that's just it's something i love to do i love to storytell yeah. and i love to bring people together and i think being in the fitness environment is just a great place for those skills to sort of have an impact sure i think to that point of you know taking something that's so intricate or complex and then making it simplistic and teaching it. Do you have any tips for coaches out there to help? Yeah, I remember this great you know triple Venn diagram, so three circles all connected. Yeah. You know, and in one circle you had efficacy, how how effective is the thing that I'm doing. Um, on one side you had efficiency, you know, so how quickly can I get the results? And on then on one circle, you had safety, right? Mm -hmm. So like how safe are we being? And in the middle where the three connected, you had, you had most people, most of the time under most circumstances. 
And when you're taking something like a, you know, like a squat clean or a, you know, like a single arm overhead squat, which is, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to get your body to do, especially if you're getting off the couch, maybe for the first time in a few years and coming into the gym, you, you want to think to yourself, which direction should I skew my coaching here? What, what would I walk away from this moment feeling successful with? So if somebody hasn't been into the gym in in a long time or, or they're new to the sport, you know, maybe I don't need to skew towards um, efficacy right now. It's it's maybe safety and can I make some progress? Mm. If it's if it's my grandma, if my grandma's coming in and she wants to learn how to deadlift, <laughs> I'm probably going to skew my teaching and my thinking and my objectives towards the safety component. She's not going to be a world-class weightlifter, right? It's like, what what do I want to accomplish out of this? So that's one of the first things I think about if I'm in a group and I'm looking at my, and I'm looking at my class. And again, I'm, I'm relating this to what I do in, in group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at my class and I've got a bunch of people who I I'm familiar with and I, I know their skill level. I maybe adapt my teaching and I can get a little in further into the deep end of the pool and we can challenge those com- complexity points and maybe add on a little bit. And if I'm looking around the room and, and I'm unfamiliar with people or I know that there are people who are a little intimidated or newer to the game, I just think about, you know, what would be the first stop? You know, how, how can I get somebody to never mind popping their feet and racking the weight in yeah. a perfect position? Can I get them to do a curl then reset their feet, then do a front squat? And can, can that be the, the first stop in a long series of stops to the final objective of a really great looking squat clean? And I just think, you know, when people try to get all the way to the end in the first go, yeah. I mean, maybe you get it. Maybe you're just that good, but, mm-hmm. but that can be a difficult thing to do. Yeah. So that that's the way I try to digest complex concepts and distillation for, for all types of different people in a single setting. Real quick. I want to go back. Cause I want to make sure the listener thinks about their grandmother deadlifting really <laughs> yeah. quickly. Cause I had a great <laughs> image there and it was fantastic. So I want to make sure we take a pause uh, and, and go back to that. But I think, you know, I love what you guys are talking about, about, um, I think a lot of times coaches because of their background or history with the sport, they probably played it or have a deep love for it or, you know, whatever it may be, they can get really hung up with, we have to score a goal. It's like, okay, great. How are they actually going to do that? When you tell a kid, like, this is how you score, or we need you to score. It's like, do they even know how to, what surface of their foot to use or like how to even (laughs) shoot a ball? Like, I think a lot of times we're always at the outcome where there's 10 steps before that. But I also want to touch on the aspect of needing to understand your players or your members or your athletes before you just jump into like a one size fits all approach. And so maybe you can talk to, and you, you touched on this a little bit at the beginning of like, it's the moments before class, or it's the moments between a set where you're getting to know people and how, how important that is and how important it is for your coaches to, to remember to like, Hey, these are people, let's get to know them learn about how they might best learn. And then we can adapt our coaching to that. For us, when we are taking on new staff and we're teaching them trust is really, really important when you're getting people to just do the things you want them to do. And if they don't trust you, or if you're off putting to them for any number of reasons, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to, it's just making your job more difficult and you're doing a disservice to the athlete. So when I talk about rapport building, it rapport building doesn't happen during the class, right? It happens right. when you see them wearing a Green Bay Packers sweatshirt and you walk up and you say, Hey, you're from Green Bay, you're from Wisconsin. You know, who's your team? Who you still follow them? It's that connection. 
great coaches are the ones who actually sincerely care. And so they're not asking because they think it's part of their job to ask you that question or to get to know you. They actually want to get to know you because they know that that's the best way for them to be better and more effective in their role as coach, whatever, whatever that is they're coaching. But I think, I think the misconception is that all the work happens during practice. Mm -hmm. The work, a lot of that work, a lot of that foundation (laughs) is built before practice or after practice. It's, it's, it's the investment in the relationships not during the work itself. Um, yeah, and I, I just think you have to you have to believe in that. And I, I think when trust breaks down, you'll feel it right away. You're just you're just kind of running into a brick wall. And I will also tell the coaches out there, this is the burden of leadership. It is not the athlete's job. It is not the athlete's uh, responsibility to build that trust. Mm. Yeah, it's your job. That's huge. And sometimes our coaches will come out of the class and say, "Oh, really low energy class today." <laughs> I'll say, well, whose fault is that? Mm-hmm. Well, remember, <laughs> our clients pay us for the service, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So at 5.30 a.m., you don't get to be rubbing the sleep out of your eyes. They can. They can yawn, not you. Mm-hmm. And that's the burden of leadership. And so, you know, if, you, if you're finding that you are kind of clashing with an athlete, you're having a hard time making that, that trusting connection, you've got to change your tactic. You've got to approach it from a different angle. You have to you have to empathize and be compassionate and try to understand what do I need to do differently as the coach to get more out of my athlete? Not how do I change them? How do I get them to think differently, to adhere to my policies and my philosophy? That's my thought on it, at least. You have the coaches that show up 10 or 15 minutes before practice. They're set up, they're ready to go. You could tell when an athlete arrives, they're there, they're greeting them, they're asking them questions. And then you have the coaches that show up, you know, a minute before just set up and get right into a drill. And like you, you can, they can be a great coach. Maybe they are exceptional at like the skills and training, but if you don't have the trust and buy-in of the athletes, like it kind of goes <laughs> against the wayside. If, if people aren't listening to what you have to say, it's a little bit uh, unrelevant at that point. <laughs> it's not coincidence or random that so many yeah. of the best players often struggle as coaches. And so many of the, so many of the, the best coaches were people who they, they played the sport, they were engaged in the sport. Maybe they didn't have the success, you know, they didn't, they weren't the world-class player. And I think that they, mm-hmm. they were forced to like, to digest it differently than those sort of natural prodigy type yeah. players <laughs> who just, who just got it. And they don't understand why everyone else doesn't get it. I don't think that's random. I think that that makes, it makes a lot of sense about how the psychology of your, how you develop your psychology with, with your particular game. So yeah, it's art and science, a little bit of both. Can you talk to the sort of the training that you have for your coaches or ongoing development that you have in place and and what that looks like and its importance? Yeah. We work in the fitness industry. And the fitness industry is a funny one because, and Simon, you've probably heard me say this before, but it's one of the few industries where you can go to like a weekend certification and then somehow be considered expert at your craft. Yeah, There's nothing else in the world, like, right? You you don't go to a weekend certification as a doctor and then you you know how to do it. It takes a lot of time to get good at anything. And I think about if we relate it to sport, you know, you don't, you don't become an NFL coach. By going to a coaching certification, sure, you, you go to training, but most most importantly, I think you embed yourself in the game. You embed yourself in the craft your whole life. You spend year, 20 years just sur- and, and, and you don't become a head coach right away. You're, you're, a, you're a defensive coordinator. You, get, you, you, you kick the tires in a lot of different roles. And then finally, when you, when you cut your teeth, you're ready to become a head coach at a high level. 
And that's been my mindset in fitness. And oftentimes from the outside, we get, we, we catch a little flack because I don't expect our coaches to come to me with, cert- with certifications. In fact, I don't particularly care. I know lots of people who have a ton of academic background in anatomy mm-hmm. and in kinesiology, but they've never stood in front of a group and taught people to squat. They've never dealt with the psychology. Kinesiology falls really, really flat very quickly when you're dealing with somebody <laughs> who's got like total anxiety just by being yeah. in the team. That is a skill that I'm more interested in. And what I find is that we can train you on the technical side of coaching. We can train you on the on the teaching, seeing, and correcting of compound functional movement pattern in time. Um, one of the analogies I like to use, I, 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 would, I didn't really play baseball growing up. Um, if I go to a baseball game, I could sit front row. Every single pitch looks the same to me. <laughs> they all look the same. Yeah. I have no idea, no difference. Meanwhile, I'll go to a baseball game with a guy who played baseball his whole life. We can sit up in the upper deck and he, and like he mid conversation can tell me what, when, when they saw a curve. Now, why, why? Because his eye over, over 10,000, 20,000, a hundred thousand pitches has has gotten better. He's gotten better at seeing what's going on. And I just don't believe that a certification in and of itself develops that eye. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that was Simon's personality just fine when he got in front of a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this guy <laughs> aced his audition. <laughs> and we, were, we were happy to get it. He's a performer for sure. He's got the right stuff. Hey, you're talking about, you're talking about, you know, it doesn't matter about kinesiology or, you know, if you have a business degree or anything like that. And I was like, in my head, I was like, or a degree in theater. And <laughs> yeah. For our well, listeners, I mean, the- Simon, Simon was a coach at Alchemy yeah. for a while. So. But you know, but honestly, what I was going to say about Simon, and and I think that this is just this is just relevant to all of this. This whole conversation is just, I mean, look, uh, it'd be great if I could start every single new athlete who was on a fitness journey. I'd be great if I could just teach them only technical things, and I made them run. 400 meters and 800 meter sprints and learn fundamental gymnastics and uh, basic weightlifting. It'd be great if I could do that. I wouldn't have many members. Um, If you don't, if you don't splice fun and enjoyability and like, you know, just a little bit of, (laughs) I don't know, a little cheese into it, I guess. Yes. Simon's got cheese. Remember it's not an effective program if they don't come back. Uh, Speaking to um, starting alchemy itself. Yep. And jumping headfirst into the unknown. Can you talk to some of the, the bigger challenges that you faced when opening, even Union Fitness for that matter, or, or when opening Alchemy? You know, number one, like complexity is exponential in nature. Complexity grows exponentially. And, you know, anytime you think about adding a new employee, anytime you think about adding a new service, adding a new business unit, in your mind, you always think, um, it's going to be easier than it is. And oftentimes because you're just one person and, or your team is, has a finite amount of bandwidth, like complexity can, can really rattle you. And so when I look back on our business, some of the best days were like when we were small and simple and didn't have all that much going on. And I'm not actually sure that as we've grown, you know, we've increased complexity tenfold. And I mean, certainly we've increased the value of the company and the company's gotten bigger and we've had a greater impact on our community and all that good stuff. I'm not sure we it's it's grown commensurate with the amount of complexity we took on. And so, you know, 
one of the challenges was just like, how do we strip it back to its its foundational form? I think having a really honest thought process about what we're trying to accomplish long-term as a business owner is something that also led to challenges where I, I think we thought we knew what we wanted and I think we thought we knew how to get it. I'm not sure that we had been, we were completely honest with ourselves and with each other about our real objectives. And you got to like get up and elevate and make sure you kind of know the general direction you're trying to head in and make it sure you know what you're trying to go for and what you're getting out of it. Having a clear core focus, uh, you yeah. know, for us, we say we are in the business of helping people feel alive. And the way we do that is group fitness classes that work. That is intentionally narrow. It is yeah. designed to keep us on track. So I guess some of these like fundamental business tenets of just like simplicity, focus, clear direction, great core values that you you don't just, they're not make-believe, yeah. like you don't write them and then put them in a desk drawer, like they live and <laughs> breathe in your business. Those are the ways probably in retrospect that we could have been better at minimizing the challenges that we faced. It's interesting though. It's like the thing of like, if you try to do everything for everyone, you're actually doing yeah. nothing for anybody. Like you're not really doing anything. So it's- and you're taking yeah. on way too much. Exactly, right? yeah. I think kind of, Bringing it back to you, sports uh, as well. What sports did you play as a kid? You know, what does sport and play kind of mean to you, especially growing up? I was a primarily a hockey player. Uh, grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, so there, you know, there's a fair amount of hockey there. Not quite like Minnesota, but um, you know, a, a good a good amount. Um, but played a lot of different sports. Was involved in in uh, swimming uh, a little bit. I was a terrible swimmer. Uh, <laughs> soccer. Same. Played played some youth football. Um, ultimately played hockey, soccer, and I rode crew in high school. Uh, Whoa, really? Like the, yeah. like the boats? Yeah. Yeah. I went what? to boarding school in Connecticut. So I was going to say, you, you didn't do that in Wisconsin. I don't think. There's <laughs> a lot of crew in New England. Yeah. A lot of crew in New England. You know, look, you know, the reason I felt confident that we would rebound after the pandemic is because people have been gathering around the fire, so to speak, yeah. to listen to music, to, sh to break bread, to play sport since we walked on two feet. Mm -hmm. I think it's foundational in what we do and, you know, you know, rough housing or just getting out there and playing and, and doing things as a group. I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a, there's a psychologist, you know, or a neurologist out there who could tell you yeah. more about what it does to the brain and the psyche than I can. But anecdotally, I just, I think it was just super healthy for me. I can't imagine growing up today with social media. I got my first cell phone when I was in college. I, I think like I, I was just at the beginning of it. I'm actually not currently on any social media. Don't have an Instagram account. I, I killed it a couple, like maybe a, a year ago. Um, I just think about being like 13 years old and um, being exposed to, let's just put it, just being exposed to a lot, to just sort yeah. of an infinite Everything. amount. Yeah. Of Everything. And I, Everything and I think about- time the purity of just getting together with a group of people. And listen, look, I know we're talking about sport. I'm also really grateful to my parents because I, I did a lot of music. We did yeah. a lot of art. Mm -hmm. We we went to the we went to the theater. And I think it's just like those types of activities that get you away from the phone, away from the computer, connected with other people. You learn problem solving. You learn how to deal with frustration. You get the euphoria of success. You feel the pain of failure. I mean, all of those things are so, I think, 
critical to development as a person. And um, yeah, and so to me, I guess, and this is actually kind of an inspiring conversation because it reminds me what we do at Alchemy, right? Like this is adult play. This is a playground for people to come in who had a bad day at work, who are stressed out at home, whatever. And they come in, oh my God, and they get to play Mm. for 50 minutes. They get they get to cut loose from that, and what a great service to be able to provide to people. I think youth sport is very important for the next gen. I think especially touching in that quickly too. With we can even like that is universal with organizations too. It's it's a good reminder that especially today with kids who are in the world of social media now and have to Mm -hmm. deal with uh, you know these services that offer everything all the time, um, and they have all of that kind of showing up and throwing up all the time. I think the fact that they have an outlet like, or having an outlet like a youth sport organization or dance or cheer or martial arts, whatever, having that as sort of a, a getaway from that sort of um, constant barrage of notifications and, and, and online um, media is, is huge. And also should, should I hope, provides a nice reminder of like, you are making a huge difference and, and probably a, a big help for um, athletes who are, who are in that space for sure. For the this or that gauntlet. <laughs> now, we've got sound effects going all, all over the place right now. Yeah. Intense music, yeah. it's happening. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> the this or that segment. Uh, I, hear the Rocky, I hear the Rocky theme in my That's right, that's right. <laughs> Is that normal? That's oh yeah. That's a, yeah, absolutely. That's what we, the effect. <laughs> that's, that's the effect. That's the effect of of this gauntlet. We are going to uh, spit out some questions at a rapid fire pace. Okay. I'm going to take the odds. Marie, you've got the evens. Or do you want to switch it up? I was like, I'm always even or odds. No, you, I, I'll go odds. You go evens. You go odds. I'll go <laughs> even. That's fine. Uh, there we go. So we are going to throw these questions at you, and the only rule is there's no thinking. It is okay. very quick. It is off the top of the head, going with your gut only. And then we will finish up. So Tyler, are you ready for this or that? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Orange slices or Capri Sun? Orange slices. Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Hockey or jujitsu? Jujitsu. GIF or JIF? A GIF. I'm trying to go quickly. I'm trying to go quickly. But that's, a, that's a good one. That is a that's a that's a that's a battleground question uh-huh, right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Burgers or brats? Burgers. Sasquatch or Bigfoot? Bigfoot. Fifty pull-ups or fifty squats? Fifty pull-ups. Final question: Who, in your opinion, is the goat of coaching? Chuck Carswell. We'll have to. We'll send him a message. We'll see if we can. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a comment back. That's great. There you I go. Think, yeah, we'll definitely throw that out there for sure. And I know there's probably a few people who are like, Chuck Carswell, who? Right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Look like, it up videos kind for of, sure. Kind of, kind of obscure if you're, if you're talking about sports, kind of obscure, uh, but, but, but in CrossFit, no, I love it. he's a big name. Love hey, it. Coaching is coaching, man. I mean, that's, that's great. I, I love that. Tyler Quinn, the captain of Cultivating Coaching Culture. Thank <laughs> you so much for being on For the Love of Sport. Appreciate yeah, thank it. you so much. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, listener, Marie, it is that time again. Let's get you over to our Athlete of the Month segment in partnership with True Sport. 
All right, let's do it. And we have got an exceptional athlete this month. Meet 13-year-old McKenna Rogers. Let me tell you about McKenna. McKenna suffered a traumatic brain injury falling out of a bunk bed on a family vacation at the age of 10. After missing half the school year from her injury, McKenna's parents were told by doctors that she would never be the same. But just two Only two years later, McKenna, or as her softball team refers to her as Mighty Mouse, is now an accomplished athlete. She's currently a left slapper with lightning speed and the starting pitcher for the Washington Firecrackers. That is a fantastic name. Let's just pause there. Uh, McKenna has even increased her speed by 10 miles per hour. Can we just think about that? She's got a cannon for an arm. Increase your speed by 10 miles per hour. That's insane. Um, So... I'd encourage you guys to go visit uh, sportsengine.com, Athlete of the Month, and you can learn more about uh, McKenna and all of her amazing athletic accomplishments, but also just get to know her. She is an awesome human, amazing kid. Um, And so, Simon, if people who are listening, how can they uh, nominate someone that they might have in their lives? Absolutely. So if our listener has an athlete that they want to nominate, they can go to sportsengine.com slash athlete of the month. We will include the link in our show notes within the application of wherever you're listening. And each winner gets to be connected with a true sport ambassador like Team USA Olympian Kara Winger. They will be interviewed and featured on sportsengine.com, both in an article and right here on the For the Love of Sport podcast. And they will receive a keepsake athlete of the month t-shirt. I want that t-shirt. I want that t-shirt. Hey, True Sport, can you send two t-shirts? t-shirts? Come on. I mean, obviously, it's going to someone way more deserving. McKenna, <laughs> congrats on being named the Athlete of the Month. Well-deserved. Cannon for an arm. Mighty Mouse on the Firecrackers. You kidding me? You absolutely kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me? McKenna, you're awesome. You are awesome. Capital A. All right, Simon, that was a fantastic interview yet again. Thank you so much for bringing Tyler into our lives. I know you and him have a really awesome personal connection. Obviously, you you guys work together for a number of years, and and it's it's always cool to have you know close friends on the podcast get to talk to them about yeah. their jobs, their close lives, friends who do really cool things, who do really it's, cool it's, things. It's pretty yeah. pretty humbling. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But um, I think there were like two two key themes that like I really pulled out when we were talking with him. I think the first one, yeah. and I know this is a a thing a lot of, um, you know, organizations, small businesses um, who are in the youth sports space is kind of like all around how do you find really great coaches? And then secondly, like, how do you keep them? Like, how do you keep them hungry? How do you keep them interested in your program? How do you keep like developing them? Like, these were the things that kept coming up in our conversation with Tyler. And I think, you know, he is clearly doing it right. He's got great coaches it's one of the main reasons why people keep going to alchemy. Um, but that, that really stood out for me. And I think a lot of our listeners will probably feel that same way um, around that topic. I think, that, yeah. And to what he said too, it, it comes down to like, whether it's keeping coaches hungry, I'm not sure if that's the right terminology or, <laughs> or, 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 you know what I mean? But, yeah. but, but keeping your coaches challenged, I guess, and the ongoing development part I know is, is something that was amazingly important to him and, and an important part to, instill in his his own coaching culture is like we're always going to learn to get better we're always going to educate no just because you're a coach doesn't mean you know it all Mm -hmm. it means you just have the chance to you know tell and and teach and help people grow but it doesn't mean that you're done Um, so making sure that you know you're finding people that are teachable um, that want to get better Um, and then the other part of, of it too is also like 
whoever you're finding to fill that position, making sure that they're going to be a fit for your own core values, but also just in, in terms of just the person that they are. The focus, if they pull it back, is always on the bigger picture and not about you know winning, losing, you know competitions, medals, whatever th- themselves, whatever they can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Because there are, I'm sure there are coaches out there who are were incredibly high performers as athletes, but not good at coaching. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are coaches out there who don't have a, a big, huge wall of accolades behind them, but know the fine, fine points and are just good people and want to help people grow that make amazing coaches. So I think that was, those are the, I think the two things in terms of finding and keeping coaches is making sure that you're finding good fits, making sure that you find people who want to grow and are teachable and then finding people who get it, who get the big picture of the, uh, of the, of the entire experience uh, rather than just the, the end of the end of the game or end of the match or end of the competition. Yeah. And I, I think, I think too, uh, another big piece is like your, your coaches are really a like branch of, of your organization or your business, right? Like, your yeah. coaches, for the most part, are the ones who are interacting with your members, with your athletes, with parents, and they are going to be what those people remember about your organization or your business, you know, or your studio, whatever you're kind of running. So I think finding people to your point that, you know, are living your culture and the mission and values that you've set out for your organization is so important, right? Like yeah. if you have a coach who's just doing their own thing that's going to be that team and that member's impression of, of what your organization is like. So really finding yeah. people to your point that are living through the values in your mission is, is crucial because they're kind of the, the brand ambassadors, if you will, who are kind of, yeah. you know, day to day interacting with, with people. I think it's important just to call out, we'll throw out some, some figures here across, you know, many different incomes. There was a, a big survey done by the Aspen play project that called out, uh, you know, reasons why athletes stop playing their sport mm-hmm. and diminishing enjoyment and diminishing interest were the highest, the, the highest reasons why. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about brand ambassadors and coaches and, and, you know, your quality, it may, it really ties back to the overall experience. And even if the sport is not necessarily for someone, that's fine, but it shouldn't be because they just aren't having fun and aren't enjoying themselves. And the onus of that falls on ultimately the coach, right? hundred mm-hmm. percent. Could not agree more. All right, Maria. I think, you know, my brain's exhausted. There was so much wisdom and knowledge and, <laughs> and talking and, and ideas and insights. And I hope that, you know, this is, if not provided some, some new ideas some new thoughts for you listener, that at least provides a, a talking point and a, and a point for some conversations too, with you, with your organization, with your kids, with your parents, with, uh, with whoever, or maybe with yourself in the car. No shame in that. I talked no to myself in the car. No, yeah, no absolutely not. You got the Christmas music, maybe, <laughs> oh. maybe just, you know, a little backdrop. And then you're just chatting with yourself about how you can create a culture mm. of great coaches. Sounds like a good time to me. I might hop in my car and yeah. just drive yeah. around for a while. Time to, time to go for a drive for sure. Well, let's, <laughs> let's take, the, let's take this out here. Uh, this has been another episode of for the love of sport, a big, gigantic, huge grizzly bear size. Thank you. Uh, to our guest, Tyler Quinn from Alchemy 365 for joining us. Truly appreciated, especially with his busy schedule and running all the different studios he has uh, to provide his wisdom and his insights. And as always, feel free to send an email out to us at ftlospod at nbcuni.com. If you've got any questions, feedback, comments, 
uh, you're loving the guests, you want to, you know, submit a guest that you've heard that's doing great work in the youth sports industry, uh, we want to hear about it. We want to make sure that this podcast is something that you, dear listener, uh, continue to love listening to. For the Love of Sport is brought to you by Sport Engine, the home of youth sports. Hosts are the wonderful Marie Fitzgerald and Simon McKenzie. Our marketing guru is Kelsey Irwin. Our captain of content marketing is Rob Badeau. And our exceptional sound engineer is Troy Stone. We release these episodes every two weeks, so we will see you then. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.